Hi, this is John Fischetti, along with Scott Emig, and welcome to Episode 7 of We Will Get Through This, Transformative Leadership for Disruptive Times. It's a great pleasure to be with you today, and Scott, we have a really exciting episode ahead. Tell us about it. Oh, we really do. We're, we're very fortunate. We're joined by Justin Fischetti, who is an assistant principal who's joining us from North Carolina in the United States. Before we get right to it, Justin, I just want to remind our listeners that the purpose of this podcast, it's, it's really a series about reflecting and creating opportunities for dialogue among school leaders from around the world. And we're really fortunate, Justin, you are about 10,000 miles, about 16,000 kilometers away from us. And we're fortunate by virtue of Zoom and this reality that you're sitting in the same room with us right now. So, Justin, thank you for taking the time. And I'm just going to open up by just asking you right off the bat, your, your school has faced, um, like schools around the world, your school's faced some tremendous challenges over the past few weeks. Give us a sense of, of as, you're, as you're making decisions, as you're working through this, what, what's guiding you? What, what are you using right now to make, make those tough decisions that you're clearly having to make? Yeah, it's, it's really been a fascinating time here. I think, um, you know, where I live, hurricanes are a fear that we face, and we've been through that um, many times since I've lived here, but especially been impacted as uh, we faced one last year. And, and so it felt like a very slow-moving hurricane to everybody at my school. Um, we, those who follow the news, uh, this was creeping toward us, creeping toward the United States, and all of a sudden we get a declaration that we're going to be out of school for two weeks and we have to figure out what does that mean? Um, what is everyone going to do? And um, I think we are taking some direction from the state. We're taking direction from our district and some things are just left to us to create. And then the next day we have to take other uh, things that have been handed down to us and reinvent there. So Every day, I think there's, there's a little bit of whiplash. I think every administrator in any school across the, the world really is probably feeling that with school closure. Um, but it's, it's a fascinating time in that, you know, I didn't invent a lot of the things that go on in my school as a first-year assistant principal, but I've been able to help create what the online learning looks like, building handbooks and supporting our instructional technology teacher and doing professional development and helping people understand that this is basically a suspension of normal. This is, not, this is not what we normally do. We can't do what we do on site in an online format with people getting sick and people taking care of their, their kids, their siblings. There's so many different factors. And so trying to give grace to everyone, trying to make sure we still have accountability, that we focus on critical thinking and mastery learning, but we also kind of take a step back and remember what's important um, which is the most important thing is our family and our health and supporting one another. Um, and so all of that is kind of swirling throughout the day um, as you make decisions and try to respond to emails and take phone calls and just try to make everybody feel a little bit more comfortable in a very hard situation. Justin, you faced equity issues in many of the leaders around the world to face where the assumptions that children had internet access at home and that teachers had the skill sets themselves, that every family has a laptop or even two if they have a couple of children. How have your school managed that notion? Because you have a large percentage of young people who don't come from privilege 
and might be struggling just to even meet the basic expectations now? I think it's a, it's, every district is going to be a little bit different. I started out teaching in a district uh, in the early, I guess, 2009 um, that was one-to-one. And so in that district, they may be a lot more uh, prepared for something like this. The current district that I teach in is not one-to-one. And so they had to get creative in getting technology out to students while also not on the back end of this burdening the school by no longer having the technology that we need for students to have. So if we were to have returned this week or next week, we may not have the 200, 300 machines that we need to give out. So our district has taken so far surplus machines and we at at our school gave out 179 of those Monday and Tuesday. And unfortunately still have a number of students who didn't come on those days that need technology. That was the laptop piece, uh, but it's not the hotspot. And so the district is trying to get creative with that. They're putting in some extra wireless capability around every school. So anywhere in town, you could potentially get close to a school campus and utilize that Wi-Fi. So that's a neat way to try to work around this. But we also don't want people clumping on our campuses because our schools are closed and campuses are closed. Our courts and fields and tracks, everything's shut down. We want to you know, make sure everybody is safe. Uh, but from that standpoint, we've taken a big step at the high school level. We've gotten machines out uh, the end of this week, today, tomorrow, middle schools and then elementaries are going to be getting laptops and iPads out. But I think this is a challenge we're going to face throughout this process. We hope to come back to school in mid-May, but of course we know that uh, this is going to be uh, really something we have to follow and make some good decisions down the road. So we know what April looks like. Um, Our schools could return May 18th, but looking at it as if that may not happen, I'm glad we're getting this all online. And I think at some point we'll be able to distribute some more laptops. Um, We had to make sure parents were a part of that process. And so transportation and the parent coming with the student when it, when we looked at it from an equity issue was a tough thing because we did have to turn some people away because we were talking about devices that would have a cost if they were, Uh, not fixed. So I think we will see, as we're looking with every aspect of this, some evolution and we'll get something in the hands of every kid, I hope, as we move through the next couple weeks. Justin, um, your focus on equity is is so important right now. And I heard a story yesterday about students here in the Hunter Valley where we are driving to the local McDonald's so that they can actually hook up with the Wi-Fi at the McDonald's so they can actually hopefully log in and do some of the work that their, their educators are asking for. Um, I know that knowing you and having known you for a long time, I know about your, your concern for your affinity for your students. Um, how are you, how are you interacting and supporting your students and, and their families? What, what, what steps are you taking or how are you keeping that top of mind with everything you're doing? We made a big push from the beginning to get our teachers connected to our students and trying really hard for them to disseminate information directly to the kids. And then a lot of our time has been supporting staff and getting everything up and running. Um, I was a part of that distribution process, got to see a number of students coming through and families getting those laptops um, and have been, uh, really most of my time has been setting up things that will support the students, but first go into the hands of the teachers. So um, really a combination of things. 
I've had a lot of concern for uh, many of the ninth graders. Ninth grade is my uh, disciplinary grade, but also I like to look at it in more of the support and coaching role. Um, and I worry about a lot of them who struggled in a face-to-face format because also working with our North Carolina virtual public schools, we very rarely are going to put a ninth or 10th grader in one online class. So now we're talking about ninth and 10th graders in four online classes and formats that we're, we've, been, we've been so supportive of the teachers in saying we want to work with what you can do best. So Google Classroom, Canvas, Edgenuity, um, using their plan book and our website, a lot of different formats they can use. But the downside of that is that our students could be using four of those platforms. And so we've taken this week to say, here's our soft launch. We want you to get connected to your kids. We want to make sure they understand how to use these platforms. And so a lot of what we've done has really been student focused and trying to help our teachers understand really our entire staff that again, this is not a normal day-to-day operation. We've got to do everything we can to reach the kids um, and help and support them in, in getting this set up. Um, but I do worry about a lot of my ninth graders, some of which I've worked with at previous schools and internships before I became an administrator. And it, it hurts me to have seen, you know, kind of what they've gone through and then now um, what that might look like in their home trying to do this and be successful. So my hope is that we can just get the best out of this process. And then I know, as we'll talk about later, look at some of the ways that we have been doing things and and improve those things. So when we do come back to school and we're face-to-face, that we're providing even more quality instruction for them. Just if we think about the role of instructional leader, which sometimes in the U.S. assistant principals or deputy principals don't get the chance to do as much of because they're taking care of all the issues of the day. But have you and your team yet been able to, or do you think there'll be a plan to really think about instructional leadership in this virtual time? Let's say, let's say we're two months into this mode, right? The rest of the school year in the U.S. or all of term two in Australia, as an example. Uh, how will you morph from uh, an instructional leader in face-to-face to instructional leader with teachers, as you just said, using a variety of platforms in a variety of ways? And to be honest with you, some of it's pretty mixed. You know, it's really going to be interesting how, in an official sense, the state allows us to do that because we've gotten most of our mandatory evaluations done, but I do still have a few that I was ready to go with the next couple of weeks. And so some of those are ready for summative evaluations and some people still need some. At this time, the state doesn't want us to use the online format to officially evaluate a teacher. But I feel like we could go that direction, especially if we're using this whole nine weeks. Um, And what we've asked our teachers to do is to allow us to be our Google Classroom or Canvas, tie us into it so we can see that um, and potentially get in and view some of these online Zoom classes. So I know one of my teachers, our Latin teacher has already been offering me opportunities and I may not be able to get in all of those right now, but just to jump in and be a part of it. Um, I jumped into a couple of professional developments this week and answered some questions on grading and just kind of saw how everybody was doing. Um, but most of what we've been able to do as we've transitioned is support teachers who have questions about what should I do? How do I 
how do I even move to this? And, and I think what's really cool is that for teachers who weren't tech savvy, weren't inclined toward technology, they're going to have grown so much from this process. So it's one silver lining we're going to have is that everybody is going to know how to utilize a lot of different um, tech-based engaging ways to reach students, things that they may not have really paid attention to as much previously as we come back into uh, more of a live format. Justin, you're um, not only incredibly positive, but you're, you're optimistic you know, in, in terms of, in terms of what this is going to bring? Well, I listened to your podcast yesterday. So that got me, that got me through Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> this was that we weren't looking for a plug, but I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but, but where does that come from? Where does the, uh, where does your sense of optimism or positivity in all this crises right now, where does it come from? Um, comes from family, um, you know, wife and, and baby girl and, and my dog and my, my whole entire family, um, just knowing that, um, you know, that I have to keep going and being positive and, and taking, you know, taking the best part out of any tough situation. Um, you all have talked a lot about health and wellness. And, and so I get out and run and um, I'm, I mentioned the whiplash earlier. It's not, it has not been easy We'll sit in these. My principal is so great. She gives us an opportunity as, as APs to, to sit and get all this information coming down from the district. And so about three days a week, there's an hour and a half to two hour um, Zoom sessions that include all the principals in the county. Um, and it's great information, but it can be pretty daunting when you have one policy and procedure for last week and then all of a sudden that changes. And how do we disseminate that to our staff? And um, so it's, it's really just taking it a day at a time, but utilizing the strategies to, to make sure that, um, that we take care of ourselves. So that's always been a part of, of what I've done. And I think I've done even better, honestly, the last few years in taking care of myself. Um, and then I've been working with a couple of my colleagues this year that are also first year APs. And one of the things that it's not always easy uh, but one of the things that I've really stuck to is, is I check out most nights. I'm not going to check email after this. And over here stateside, it's about 830. Um, I'm not going to go on my computer or phone and check work email because it's going to be there at 730 when I get to work. And, um, you know, even in the heart of what would have been an incredibly busy time for us if we were still in our normalcy, not that it hasn't been busy, but it's different. Um, I find ways to check out and find find time just for just for family or just for self reflection, and I think that's really important. Um, but opportunities like this for I think educators crave opportunities to talk about things and and try to support one another as well. Just if we could switch now to what might be thinking about the opportunities out of out of this. You didn't sign up for this. No one did, right? But as a first year assistant principal and on your way to wherever this takes you, what do you see as the learning we can take? And I'll give an example. Scott and I have been talking about, we, we're really not sure we need schools as we've had them. We need school, but not as we did them. But as you're thinking ahead, although it's really premature, we're only in the crisis and we're not even in the aftermath of it. What do you think might change either about the role of an assistant principal, the role of a school? Do we really need to be driving buses all around our communities the same as we did. What do, you, what do you think this is going? Well, 
as I kind of discussed earlier, I felt like as we transitioned to the online format and we looked at expectations for people that we needed to scale back a little bit. And so one reflection that I've had in thinking through that and seeing different leaders on Twitter and what they're saying about our priorities and, and some of the things I've seen throughout my career in education, both as a student, a teacher, and now an administrator, I think we could do a little bit less and do it a lot better. Um, I don't see more as necessarily something that's gonna help us, more standardized testing, more time in school. Um, I think the more should be some of the things we're not doing as much, the social emotional piece, more physical activity, more opportunity to engage our community, um, more time with our families reading and writing and more focus on the benefits and the, the importance of, of education. So that's one piece that I think we'll see. Now, if that changes, I'm, I'm an advocate of like a teacher work day every two weeks that might not be feasible, but you look at some of the ways that we could get creative with a calendar to take some of the stress and burden off of not only my staff members, but also students. Um, we get into, again, right now would have been up to next week is our spring break, a very intense time. And then May for us is that as well, kind of like August and September into October, very few breaks. People get into that burnout mode. There's, there's really an opportunity to get more quality out of what we're doing. And so that's big picture, I think, what, what I would like to look for. Yeah, uh, you, in your teaching career, you're a master teacher uh, and taught both regular courses at the standard level as well as advanced placement. And you know how to teach a broad, a broad array of content over a period of time called a semester or a year. Do you think we, because there's a test we have to get our students ready for, and you had great success with lots of levels of kids. But one of the things Scott and I think is we might be able to push that we back away from trying to cover the breadth and really think about learning more deeply. You started to go there by the other disciplines, the emotional and the social and particularly the physical components. Do you think we might be able to, even in these advanced subjects, to be able to say, why don't we teach really deeply because width just gets us running around covering stuff and kids don't really remember it anyway. And for our kids on the lower end of their academic success, we've turned them completely out because they just don't learn that way. Do you think a new model of school that goes deep is possible, even at a fairly contemporary, uh, traditional-like school that your school is, where it looks a lot like school did a long time ago? I definitely think we can, and I've seen it work, and I was fortunate enough in, in teaching the AP United States History course for a number of years to see a transition with the college board and that, um, that level of instruction where they moved from, like when I first started teaching that course, it was basically teach U.S. history from 1491, pre-Columbian, to the present, and here's your thousands of vocabulary terms, dates, and facts to moving to a conceptual model that was skills-based. And when they released this curriculum guide that basically said, teach these examples in the way that you wanna teach it and focus on critical thinking and engagement, all of a sudden over a few years, that opened me up to be able to really teach my kids in the way that I wanted to, rather than I don't have to slam content and lecture all the time. Yes, there's a place for some direct instruction to get information out there, um, but, I think every course can go to that. I think here in North Carolina, 
especially in the tested areas that I've spent a lot of time looking at, not only social studies, which is my background, but math and English, some of the tests are not really geared to show us what we're looking for. They're, they're not really showing us engaging where the student is as much as like in, in the, the uh, more language-based areas, it's reading comprehension. Well, reading comprehension for a lot of our students is tied to the, the experiences they've had in many ways their socioeconomic standing. I could tell you what a student was gonna get at the beginning and the end. I want something that's gonna really show me how did they grow with that teacher and where, what are they prepared for going forward? And so I think from an instructional standpoint, we definitely can reinvent in a way that excites students. Um, but we also, again, talking about this time we missed here in a hurricane, and then now this time we're missing instruction here, I worry about gaps with our students. So is math one an appropriate course or is it more fluid than that? Is it math seven, eight, nine, which would be math one, that I have to have a cohort of kids to teach some foundational skills so they actually can move to math two? Because I got kids in math one that might get a P and pass this year, but they may not be prepared to move on to the algebraic equations that they'd have in math two and are gonna really struggle. So how do, we, how do we get outside the box, get out of the factory model which you to a, a, a position where we're focused on the student's needs versus just a, a more standardized approach, which is the type of school I'm at. I work at a school with over 2,000 kids, so it's reinventing what would that look like. Yeah, that's a great example, isn't it, Scott? It, it is. And I, I was just thinking, Justin, so you are um, you're an assistant principal, and we, John and I hear from, we hear from teachers a lot who say, you know, I, I can't make changes, I can't make these dramatic changes because I need my administrator's support. And then we hear from principals who say, I can't make these dramatic changes because I need my director's support. Mm -hmm. And the directors need the department or the superintendent's support. And um, you've, you've articulated some really great examples, you know, things that you, you would like to see happen and things that you're doing. Um, is it, is it feasible for a teacher in his or her classroom, is it feasible for an assistant principal, a principal to affect some change moving forward coming out of this? Absolutely. And I think my hope is that we're doing that right now because there are teachers in my school that would have never touched a Google classroom, that would have never looked at Zoom as a potential way to reach their kids, that wouldn't have looked at Flipgrid or Kahoot or some of these other more engaging things that are, they're not your lesson, they're a piece of your lesson, but formative assessments, you know, that we have teachers who said, you know, and have really been pushing, how do I give a test online without the kids cheating? Well, you don't, I mean, you can't, you can't do that. They're going to collaborate. So why don't you just ask them to? And I think that is something that mindset shift is a really neat thing. And so I hope that we can bottle that up and we can use that positive inertia going forward um, as we combine what they've done in the past or more traditional approach, because there's a lot of positives there too, with some of these new things that just one piece of those would really light up some of our kids in a room. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't all have to be tech-based. Sometimes we can go too far with it. So it's finding a balance and piecing those things together. And so we're very mired right now as a school in trying to get this online learning thing set up, even though the state has basically said, 
our seniors are going to pass if they were passing. So while we hope and encourage them to continue their course, they're going to receive a, a COVID passing grade. Um, and if we don't return to school, something like that could happen with our other students. And so we want this to be a really positive opportunity for the kids in the here and now. But ultimately, I think everything is preparing not only the students for the beginning of the fall semester, um, but also the teachers. And if they can take one or two of the new engaging things they've learned with them, then I think we can win out of it. Justin, as a leader, you came into teaching and now into your, your leadership uh, career wanting to make a difference. And particularly in the classroom, you can feel that difference when the magic of learning takes place. And you can see it as a in the physical space in the work you're doing now by appreciation or just a sense of fulfillment. Uh, what kind of leadership qualities is this testing in you? Well, I had a good conversation with one of my colleagues today. It was about 5.15, I was leaving. Um, technically, we locked the doors of the school and kicked everybody out at four, but of course, we're still having meetings and trying to figure everything out. And um, she asked me, what's keeping you sane? And I think what is day to day is being able to be productive. So I've enjoyed building uh, a new staff handbook. And one of my colleagues helped create the virtual schedule that we'll be using. And so we have a schedule and I created staff expectations and uh, building in all the things we're talking about, about a balanced approach and our student handbook and taking what the state has given to us and breaking that down into a little bit more of a digestible set of grading policies and other things that we can then send out to our staff and students. Um, so that's a big piece of it, just day to day. Um, I work with our custodians as their supervisor. I work with our bus drivers who we really haven't seen much in this process. Some are helping with food distribution at other sites. Our school does not serve as a site. We have over 20 school sites right now serving food. So that's another piece of this which is an incredible um, endeavor that our county's taking. And really, um, from you know, a needs-based assessment, the most important thing that we can be doing is helping our community um, provide food, which we do every day for our students. And I know some countries around the world aren't set up the same way, but the schools are such a foundation for the needs of, of those um, that, that aren't as privileged in our community. But um, I've, I've had my feelings certain days of, I don't feel like we should all be in the building, um, but I try to retool and rethink about what people need from me. I've been really smart about washing hands and sanitizer and I've advocated for social distancing before that was a in vogue thing, uh, before we even went out of school. But um, I think you had to take it in stride. It's not all positive that's coming toward us, of course, but um, trying to help everybody feel like that they're valued as we would any other day, um, but also that we're here for them. And I think it would probably have been harder for me to be working at home and doing that than being at the school. So I understand um, if I've got an eight month old, not running, but about to be crawling around, you know, my wife's been home, she's been taking care of her, she's on her intercession break, but when she comes back, she's gonna have to be teaching online. And if I'm at home, a few days a week as we try to limit the numbers in our school rotating with our other admin, then we're going to be have to balancing who's taking care of the baby and who's doing their online work. So, and I've just got one child um, and I'm not taking care of 
parents or other families, multiple families in the home, and I have my own property where it's relatively quiet. So I understand a lot of people are going through those things. We're trying to provide that grace. Um, and at the end of the day, I know that we've done everything we can. There's bumps in the road, but um, I've enjoyed working with my principal, my admin team to try to do the best we can because every day is uncharted territory. And at least it makes it interesting. It's the same as it was before and that there's never a dull moment. That's <laughs> for sure. Justin, um, thank you very much for giving us this glimpse inside of, of, inside of your thinking, inside of your leadership, your passion. You know, your passion for all aspects of your world is very clear. You know, your passion for what's happening at home, your passion for what's happening at school. But the thing I think that hopefully the listeners take away from this is also your your recognition that um, this is an opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity for change. And I think that may be the call that we want to we want to put out to our, our listeners at, at, at the end of this episode. You've used the term grace a few times. And I'm, I've been, every time you've used it, I've been particularly, you know, affected by it because it, it's that sense of care. You know, it's the sense of care with how you, you're reaching out and you, you talk about your colleagues and your students and your families. And um, one of the things that's pretty obvious is that you rely a great deal on those people around you to help give you, give you guidance and support. Um, so, I, John, I think one of the things that it would be wonderful to have our listeners consider doing on the heels of this is reaching out to a colleague, reach out to the one colleague that um, perhaps that, you know, that they see as, as their, um, their touchstone and reach out to that person and perhaps engage in a conversation today about, about you know, where we are and, you know, where we could be going. I, I totally agree, Scott. And Justin, there's a pedagogy in teaching that you used. And uh, Scott and I are going to recommend it uh, for your team and for all the listeners and their teams. And that's that you try to catch kids being good. Uh, so a lot of times we only report to parents when something goes wrong. We only communicate to the community when there's a crisis. But I wonder if we can't take that metaphor and ask all the principals and deputy principals around the world to try to catch a couple of teachers being good, to send them a note, hey, I really appreciate it. I, I was able to pop into your class, or I, I know how hard you've been working, thank you, uh, and really reach out and try to do that three a day minimum. And across a couple of weeks, you touch everybody. This is a chance to connect and to care, as you so rightfully said. And I think if that's a task we can, we can ask each person to modify, there's no actual assessment task, nothing is gonna be marked for this, but I think we'd really like to make this a call to action. Reach out to a colleague, let's make it three a day, and in your leadership role, thank them for what they're doing. If you do it as a carte blanche email to everyone, people receive it as a generic thing. Um, Justin, your remarkable career has only just started, and what we do is appreciate what you and the leaders are doing all around the world. This is a crazy time, I think on the other side of that, we can make it really better because we can appreciate the human interaction that comes from being in a place called school. If we go back to running around to try to have testing centers instead of learning centers, I'm actually worried this will be for naught. Um, and so I would hope the challenge that you might bring to your leadership is when we come back, we're going to take that vision of your school that's on the web page or in the district manual. We're going to pull it out and say, We've been trying at this, but we've been trying at it, playing by a lot of different rules. What if we tried to personalize education for every child? 
we went deeper in the curriculum. We didn't go wider. We let the test be the result, not the purpose, and see what that looks like. And some of your teachers will have some ways they're doing that now that they could keep doing. And others will say, I don't have to get to 26, chapter 26 by the end of the year. You know what? Let's teach what we teach really well and care about our, our, our uh, families and our children. Your um, role today has been terrific. I know we'll get lots of great feedback on the podcast. This has been episode seven of We Will Get Through This. And Scott, give us some final words to take us out. Well, thank you, Justin Fischetti, for your grace, for sharing your time with us. And thank you, listeners. And, and get out there, get out there and make a difference. Yep. Thank Justin, you. thank you. We really appreciate you. And we'll talk soon. Thank you.